FamilyOfficeRealEstate.com podcast with your host, DJ Van Curen. He's from the Arsenal Family Office. Each podcast is about real estate-related topics specifically for family offices. Now your host, DJ Van Curen. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of uh, FamilyOfficeRealEstate.com. Today we have Mike Conso, who's the editor with Real Assets Advisor. Mike, we'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks, DJ. Fantastic. Well, Mike, as you know, we've had a chance to uh, initially meet at a family office conference, and uh, we've chatted a few times. And you know, one of the things that I've noticed over the last uh, year plus is that all these various family office conferences. I, I see that you've got uh, your magazines that are available there, and and I've had a chance to go through the magazines and and also your website, and it's a great resource um, in general, but specifically for family offices. Um, but Mike, could you tell me a little bit more about your publication and the website and, and what's all involved in the information that you have? Sure. Uh, first of all, just by way of a little bit of background, we're published by Institutional Real Estate Incorporated. And that uh, we're the latest of nine different titles, uh, magazines that are publications that the company puts out. But we are the first retail publication, the first for the individual investor. All the others have been for institutional investors. And our founder and CEO realized that the market didn't have a publication, a magazine that was devoted to real assets. And what we've been seeing is that a lot of the RIAs or registered investment advisory firms are starting to move towards the endowment model of investing where they're getting away from the two-dimensional stock and bond portfolios and starting to diversify into alternatives. And, uh, but there's an awful lot of them that still are, are stuck on the two-dimensional portfolio uh, model. The purpose of our magazine uh, which goes to chief investment officers and, and wealth advisors at the um, RIAs, the folks who deal with high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals and families. Uh, the the idea is to really kind of promote the endowment model or the the integration of real assets into portfolios because we we believe that the the two dimensional stock and bond model is outmoded. It's just not in keeping with uh, the the current. Uh, state of affairs economically where we have a lot more volatility. Uh, interest rates and inflation are quite unpredictable, or even deflation, the, the threat of deflation. And, and therefore, there are certain um, assets that should be in a portfolio that need to be a hedge against that. So our purpose is to really educate and, and promote that model of investing. And, and I, will, I will say that I, I mentioned alternatives. People are moving into the alternative space um, in some significant numbers. So we're a subset of alternatives. We are real assets, uh, meaning hard assets, uh, tangible assets that you can actually uh, uh, touch and see. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the, and in a nutshell, the, the idea behind the magazine. Well, I'll tell you, Mike, we, we really haven't talked before about that and the endowment uh, model, etc. Um, but I have to tell you is that I, uh, I agree with you a thousand percent, and one of the reasons is I just wrote an article actually about family offices and replicating the endowment model, <laughs> which which I I just finished up over the last week or so, and you know it's interesting because 
you have uh, the retail channel, which I would consider your, uh, you know, your mom and pa type uh, standard investor, right? At the other end of the spectrum, you have the institutional investor, whether it's the insurance company um, or the, um, you know, the large, uh, large investors, right? And then in the middle, you've got that RIA, which is is typically a step up from that retail model, and then you've got the family office. And and when you look at um, you know the family office space, um, the biggest thing that I say is that well, it, it's sort of like a, a hybrid of the two, right? Um, you've got the sophistication um, on some levels, although a lot of families you know made their mo- money in one specific industry, and so that's what they they know the best, but then again, they've got a lot more capital in order to, you know, do an asset allocation. So what I typically say is that, you know, instead of a, a someone buying a mutual fund, um, you know, or a stock, you know, somebody in a family office would end up buying that company directly. And so, what you can do when you have a lot more money, and you know, the endowment model is something that uh, has been proven. You look on historical returns from whether it's Harvard or Yale, and, and, and they've had significant um, uh, y- you know, to, uh, advantages and, and returns to their portfolio. And in fact, a couple years back, you know, one of the topics had to do on the real asset size, which was with real estate, which um, had been a pretty good portion of, of Harvard's endowment from an allocation perspective, but their returns were like 35%. You know, and it really it really trued up the portfolio, et cetera. So in, in relation to real estate, you know, what are some of the articles that you've seen or the information with real uh, asset advisors um, you know, that you've noticed over the last six months uh, to the year, and has that changed or, or increased over that time frame? Well, I, I would point to a few things. One is the capital flows from overseas have been amazing. The United States has just been a magnet for real estate money from from Asia in particular, but also from the Middle East uh, and, and I think to a lesser extent Europe and, and South America. It's such a stable um, uh, environment here in the United States. Our real estate uh, community is very transparent. The rule of law, the legal system is very strong. And people feel protected here, and they feel it's a place that, uh, that where their money and their investment is safe, and uh, they know exactly uh, what they're getting into because because of transparency and because of the, the type of uh, uh, laws and the legal recourse people have in this country. So there has been that. In terms of property types that have been really strong for years now running, there have been two in particular that really stood out. One has been apartments or just multifamily housing. It has been strong for years. And even now, there are people who are saying that it's got several years left, that the thread has not run out. Well, there are others who are saying, you know, the, the run is just about over. There's a lot of new construction in apartments, and it's going to be a big new supply coming online. That pent-up demand that people have been talking about for apartments has been millennials living with their parents, not necessarily because they um, don't have a job. There, there was a period of time when that was going on, but employment's much better now. 
Uh, a lot of them have chosen to live with their parents for a while, put themselves in a good financial position, maybe pay off some of the college debt they may be carrying, and then uh, they're going to be moving out of their parents' homes into an apartment. It's usually, it usually works that way where it's an apartment first and then eventually someday they'll be home buyers. Millennials aren't that key on buying homes, frankly. Uh, that's, that's another dynamic at work here. They tend to be a little bit more mobile, a little bit more on the move, uh, apartment living, kind of the lock and rock apartments where, where you can just kind of walk away from it. There's no yard to worry about. Everything's kind of self-contained. Uh, is very appealing to them. So there is the argument that the apartment uh, rally is going to continue while others say, you know, there's so much building going on that um, I don't trust it anymore. And some of them are starting to liquidate those assets. The other category that is very strong and is expected to be strong into the future, I don't hear anybody saying, hey, this, this one is, is just about uh, run, has just about run its course and is going to uh, see a correction, and that is warehouses. Warehousing has been tremendous. And it's very largely because of uh, e-commerce and distribution systems where they are trying to get closer and closer to market. As I think we all know, Amazon is really into the same-day delivery thing. And all people, all organizations, all supply lines are now thinking in terms of being very quick uh, to their destination because that's one of the advantages to, uh, that you can offer a shopper um, that says you don't need to run to the store to get it. We can get it there the same day. You know, later later today there'll be a knock on the door and your package will be handed off to you. That's that's a big advantage. Well, that takes tremendous warehouse space. It takes tremendous logistics. So warehouses are being built in a big way, and uh, they're they're becoming quite technological. They're becoming uh, uh, roboticized and automated. Uh, fewer human beings to run them. Uh, so the the feeling is that. Um, Warehouse is going to have a good long run here. I think it's just 10% of all retail sales. The most recent figure I heard was 10% is um, bought online, which means there's still a huge upside potential because I think most people do believe that that percentage is going to rise and more and more people are going to do shopping online, especially since not only the quick delivery, but online retailers are very big about, look, um, you can order three pairs of shoes in three different sizes, figure out which one fits you, send the other two back, no charge. So they make it very simple, and they, they take the intimidation out of the idea that I'm going to buy you know, a blazer, I'm going to put it on, I'm not going to like the way it fits, and then what? Um, they make it simple to turn it right around, and, and it's not punitive at all. So uh, warehouse, another big one. And when you say warehouse, you're, you're, you're lumping that in with industrial, right? As well? Industrial, warehouse, uh, so everything right. from manufacturing, uh, uh, urban right. gardening, and uh, in, indoor gardening, uh, pot growing in, in Colorado. Warehouse, the price of warehouses shot up in Colorado because old warehouses were being moved into uh, because it's, uh, the law requires marijuana be grown indoors, and other states have, are doing the same thing, which means a warehouse space. And it doesn't have to be modern warehouse space. Some of the stuff that you thought was outmoded could now end up being a place where you have some growers coming in saying, we'd like, we'd like to rent this. That, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I've been contacted about, and there's been some firms that have actually tried to have a focus and starting to look at strictly doing 
uh, cannabis-related, you know, real estate properties, which is primarily on the on the uh, industrial side and, and warehouse side, like you're saying. You know, there everything that you're you're talking about. There's actually a, a recent. Um, so some recent data that came out and, and in relation to high net worth and, you know, one of the sectors going into 2017 and, and multifamily is still at the top of the list and second is industrial, which is, falls in line with exactly what you're saying. And, you know, it's interesting and, and there's two things. One is we were having a conversation here in our office with my patriarch and a potential investor and, and he was telling us about a friend of his that has a warehouse here, 30,000 square feet. And they've got 30 employees. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, 30,000 square feet with 30 employees, like there's a disproportion here, right? Well, the reason why was because they have robots, which, are, which is something that you brought up, right, from an automation perspective. And what this guy said, he goes, that, that's not even the amazing part. The amazing part is that when this friend of his went to look at these robots, there were robots making robots. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, you know, that sort of puts things in perspective. And also, uh, a colleague of mine here, we were talking the other day, and, and if you go online, there's a YouTube that talks about Amazon, and they did their first drone. Um, and they had a couple people in the UK trying this. And the guy put his order in, and I think within like 10 minutes, the package was delivered at his house. I mean, it it's was extraordinary. pretty. It is extraordinary. It, it is extraordinary, and, and you know we are continuing to move in those in those directions. Uh, you know, however, there are retail locations. A lot of people get worried about retail. I think from an investment perspective, but let, let's remember that. You know, if you want to go out and eat, you've got to go to a restaurant. If you want to go work out, you're going to go to a gym, right? And and so there are, um, if you're going to get certain services, right, you're going to get your nails done or your hair cut, you can't order that online. So Precisely. there's definitely still a need for the retail. It's just a matter of, of um, you know, what type of retail and, and who are the tenants going to be. But, you know, I think you bring up a big big point about the, the industrial and, you know, multifamily, um, just to touch on that really quickly. I mean, our, we're sellers of multifamily, um, and we see a downturn that's going to be coming in probably around 2019, 2020, and so we plan to, to do a lot of uh, purchasing of multifamily at that time. But, you know, another area is the, the senior uh, the senior multifamily space. I, I think that it's been overlooked because there has been a lot of um, market rate apartments that have been being built, and a lot of people have focused on the millennials. But I think that's a, I think that's another area, you know, that's going to be big here in the future. So I, I agree. Um, it's highly regulated and, and and whatnot. So there are some risks to it, but um, the need is going to be tremendous, and it's going to run for decades. Yeah, and I want to I want to point one one other thing out just on the manufacturing front real quickly. Uh, New York Times just had an article, and I just pulled an excerpt from it. it. Said in 2016, the United States hit a manufacturing record, producing more goods than ever. But you don't hear much gloating about it because manufacturers made all this stuff without a lot of people. Thanks to automation, we now make 85% more goods than we did in 1987, wow. with only two thirds the number of people of workers. So the amount of workers has dropped by a third since 1987, but the, our productivity, the, our, uh, the amount of, that we manufacture is, has uh, escalated by 85%. So um, right there you see, 
uh, in line with what you were talking about, and I had mentioned earlier about the automation and the technology, the robots. It's uh, more and more where the productivity is getting is getting outstanding, but at the same time, it's not creating a lot of jobs, and that's one of the big worries well, that, that people have. <laughs> That, that that is that is a whole topic in itself because you know we were talking about even not only for robots but you look at these self-driving cars which some say it'll be perfected in the next five to ten years. Well, if that starts to really happen, you know you're not going to need parking garages, right? Because these automated cars can go out and they can park 30 miles outside the city. Um, you know, so now you've also got parking garages that might be able to be reused, etc. But you're taking jobs away from potential truck drivers, from taxi drivers, from Uber drivers. You know, which goes back to the unemployment, you know, component of it, right? Yeah. So that's, that's I believe the figure is 20 million. I think it's like 20 million jobs DJ together in the United States that people who make their living driving. <laughs> I mean, that that's. That's what? That's about 7%, 8% of the population? I mean, that's, that's huge. That's, yeah, and I, and I think a lot of people, you know, hear about that or they, you know, they sort of bypass it. But, you know, if people aren't getting retraining and, and new, new opportunities aren't being created or people are, are ready for those opportunities, yeah, there's a lot of um, – there there's could be a lot of issues that are coming, coming up for sure. Um, Mike, I'm going to take a, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. Uh, you know, I know that there's a couple things that you're working on at the magazine I'd love to talk to you about in relation to the family office space. And then um, you know, maybe we can tap back in a little bit more about the publication. So we'll be back in a minute and, um, uh, after this message. Hi, this is Jim Freed, the host of Freed on Business on 880 AM the biz in Miami and you're listening to the US Family Office Realestate.com podcast. The podcast provides you real estate information designed specifically for family offices. Make sure you check out US Family Office Realestate.com for educational information for family offices, including white papers, fact sheets, videos and podcasts. You'll also find information on specific markets and assets real estate cycles, tax-efficient real estate investing ideas, and much, much more. That's U.S. Family Office, realestate.com. Information for family offices, by a family office. So we're back with familyofficerealestate.com. Today we have the editor of Real Assets Advisor, uh, Mike Consul. Um, we've been talking about their publication, um, which is definitely, um, you know, they've got a lot of resources, not only with their hard copies, but also online for family offices, not only in relation to uh, real estate, but um, real assets as a whole. So, Mike, we had a chance to chat a little bit. I know that there's a, an initiative that you're exploring, um, you know, with possibility uh, with family offices. Um, why don't you tell tell uh, our listeners a little bit about you know what you're looking to accomplish and um, you know uh, what's some of the information that you're you're trying to put together. I know it's still in the development phase, um, but I, I think it's pretty interesting what you're what you've been talking about. Could you share that with us a little bit? Sure. We have been, of course, covering multifamily offices and, and fa- family offices, uh, but I wanted to 
actually, I would like to put something in the magazine that is a monthly feature. I didn't, I neglected to mention earlier that our magazine is a monthly magazine. And then, of course, we have a website with daily news feeds and whatnot. Um, so the idea would be to have a family office feature where each month we spotlight a different family office and uh, in, a, in a one to two page feature, just very condensed, looking at the family, the, uh, how it made its wealth, the primary source of that wealth, um, it, the portfolio just in terms of, of asset classes by percentage. I love the idea of a pie chart that basically kind of parses out um, what percentages are being uh, put into what uh, uh, particular asset classes. Uh, the, uh, uh, the chief investment officer, the administrator in charge of the family office, uh, and assorted other information, future plans, um, uh, perhaps uh, where their in, uh, investment portfolio is trending. Uh, now, this gets into some information, though, that uh, you know the, the jury is still out as far as I'm concerned on whether family offices, single-family offices, would share that information, um, at least uh, in, a, in a meaningful enough way that a person who reads that feature can come away and feeling like they're starting to learn a little bit more about how family offices operate. Purpose being, of course, that the more exposure people have to the different investment models or different different um, uh, choices being made by professional investment people, uh, the, the more informed they are. So that's what we would like to do, and it's still exploring that. And DJ, you're one of the people I came to to, to um, kind of help me in terms of doping out the uh, what the contents of that page might be and what's realistic and what's not. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think the information itself, like you're talking about and what you're thinking, could be extremely valuable for families. I agree with you 100%. And, and you know, the, the saying that we've said before and that you've heard is, you know, when you meet one family office, you're at one family office. But, you know, one of the biggest things that, I have come to realize, and, and this was when I started into the family office space, is you have these brilliant people that have been very successful, but it's really been in one specific industry. You know, you ask them about widgets, and they're going to tell you everything you need to know. Um, you start asking them or talking about, you know, various real assets, asset allocation, et cetera, and their eyes glows over. And, in fact, there's a story that I continue to tell. There's a, a, a family uh, and the patriarch I met back in um, the back east and the southeast that, um, you know, he gave me his card, and he, he had to have been worth, you know, three, $400 million, if, if I'm guessing, and his card had his name, and underneath it said investor in training. And, you know, I, I thought that was the best, you know. And, um, you know, a lot of having to do with allocation and, and where to put your money and how to put your money, I mean, it's, a, it's an area that is definitely needed from families. And, you know, sometimes they will work with advisors, like you had mentioned, either RAAs or they'll hire a CIO or maybe they'll outsource it to a multifamily office for their CIO. Um, and, and then there's a lot of them that, you know, just wants to take the bull by the horns and do it themselves. Um, but it is an education process, uh, like you mentioned, and everything else. Like, tell me a little bit about, you know, one of the a couple things on your website that I really like uh, had to do with your videos and, and your podcasts. Um, 
can you tell me a little bit about those and if there's a, a specific focus that you usually have or what you try to accomplish with those? Because I think that that's, you know, if you don't have time to read, it's always great to either listen to or, or whatnot. So can you give me a little insight on that? Sure. The, uh, um, I'll start with the podcast, which I personally handle for the company. And uh, there's a couple different things that we do there, DJ. One is that uh, oftentimes the cover profile, I record the interviews with the, with the CEO of the particular RIA, RIA and, um, and then clean that up a little bit, run it past them, get their permission for us to use it as a, an inside the edition um, podcast. So basically you're listening in on my interview with that CEO. I take out anything that's sensitive information that they feel that they uh, don't want uh, included. Then we also have a, uh, an author spotlight um, where we take an author who's written a book uh, about something that's uh, relevant to real assets, to the individual investor, uh, and so on. Then, uh, then we have something called Shop Talk, where we talk about a ver- various various topics that are um, important within that uh, category. So, for instance, it could be talking about the illiquidity premium. It could be, you know, the the, the advantages to uh, private equity real estate versus listed real estate. Uh, we had one recently when we were just talking about apartments. We had a guy uh, who was very gave a very convincing uh, talk with me about uh, micro unit versus uh, family unit apartments and how there's a great need for affordable family unit apartments and the advantages to that uh, versus the everybody's micro unit crazy and he's saying you know the three or four room apartments uh, they they fill up and uh, you have a more stable renter and so on and so forth uh, so. The podcasts, uh, the n- nice thing about podcasts, like you were saying, uh, DJ, the, uh, uh, a lot of times people don't have time to read, but they have a commute. And uh, podcasting you can listen to while you're working out at the gym, while you're commuting, uh, laying in bed at night, you name it, uh, which is why we give ourselves a lecture stretching out to maybe 30 or 45 minutes on them. By contrast, then we do these videos, and the videos are, are dealing with um, various topics as well that are relevant. And they tend to, of course, be shorter because um, uh, yeah, you could always treat a video as a podcast, really, without looking at the, uh, the video because basically what you have is a talking head. But we, had, we have some recent videos on things like conservation easements. So a person who's got uh, real estate uh, holdings could, could look at a major tax advantage through a conservation easement. We've got, uh, we talked about the, the reality versus the myth of life insurance, uh, the life, secondary market for life insurance, uh, Richard Kleiman on U.S. markets uh, and, uh, and how they're performing right now. Uh, we have uh, one from Jeff Conrad on the agriculture industry. So we try to get around the different asset classes. And our, our four major categories, which I didn't mention, of course, is real estate, infrastructure, energy, and commodities. Hmm. That's great. I mean, I, I want to note some other things, too, about some of the articles that you guys currently have, which are, tra- are just fantastic. You know, you've got um, some articles on the infrastructure in the Trump area, uh, you know, some information talking about REITs, uh, energy commodity prices, like you said, you know, solar, uh, what markets to watch, some emerging trends in the U.S. and Canada for this year, uh, but also international. Um, you know, you've got topics uh, in, in regards to Argentina, India, Cuba, 
Um, and, you know, as you continue to go through, I mean, there's, you know, I keep looking at these various articles. I'm like, oh, I want to read that. Oh, that looks good. Oh. <laughs> so, um, you know, legacy wealth and real estate. I mean, there's a great one right there, right, for for uh, uh, for family offices and, and, you know, their future plans and everything else. I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, one of the things that we, the reason why we started this um, family office real estate website was to be an education source and, and to provide information to families in regards to real estate and, and I've got to tell you is that um, you know I could probably put a link on the front page directly to you guys because there's a <laughs> you've got a lot of topics which are absolutely fantastic. So, like if, if people want to either you know get a magazine or they want to um, you know find out more and be able to access your information online uh, or even get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, our our URL. Um, you, to begin with, you can Google Real Assets Advisor. And by the way, advisor, we spell E-R at the end, not O-R. More and more people are using the O-R, but it's Real Assets Advisor with an E-R at the end of, of advisor. And uh, uh, the, the easiest way to do it might just be to Google the name, but uh, because the URL is a little bit more complicated than that, it's uh, www.irei, which is Institutional Real Estate Incorporated.com. And it's forward slash real hyphen assets hyphen advisor. That's why I, I tell people, um, you, you know, you can go ahead and just um, uh, uh, Google it. However, I will say this. You can just type real assets advisor, all is one word, dot com, and it will actually take you to the URL I just recited. So realassetsadvisor.com, it will get you there. And uh, it will give you an opportunity to sign up for the free news feeds. Uh, to subscribe to the magazine. Our magazine is, uh, is, is basically free, and it comes in several different channels. If, you, if you're a qualified investor, the magazine is free to you. And uh, uh, you know, the idea is that you can receive it in print, mailed to you. We also have a flipbook edition, which is an exact electronic replica of the magazine. Uh, so it's easier to, to take on the go if you don't want to mess with paper. And then, and then, of course, the articles, not everything, but uh, most of the uh, articles and columns appear on the website as well. And, uh, and we have a um, you know, very good archive as well to, to pass stories so people can search things out by, by an area of interest. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for, for uh, you know, being on the podcast today. Um, this is a um, an interview that I think uh, a lot of our listeners will will be excited to hear and, and uh, allow them to uh, have access to another source that uh, can be great from an education perspective. Uh, today, our guest was Mike Consol. He's the editor of Real Assets Advisors, which is a um, um, a, a part of institutional real estate and. Um, Mike, we really thank you for the information and, and giving us an update not only on you know, your site and what it entails, but also some of the information uh, in regards to real estate and, and what you guys have been seeing. I enjoyed it, DJ. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thank you so much. Today, once again, was Mike Console, the editor of Real Assets Advisor. Be sure to check out the website. Um, you can type in uh, Real Asset Advisors. It'll come up. You can Google it. It's a source that you definitely want to check out, you want to go to, uh, because there is a great amount of information. Uh, this has been DJ Van Karen, the Arsenal Family Office for USFamilyOfficeRealEstate.com. We appreciate you listening, and be sure to check out our website for more uh, educational information as well.